We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcasts. And Finding Freedom, what is this show? What am I trying to to bring you, to deliver uh, to you every single week? Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, or if you're new to listening to Finding Freedom, what I'm striving to do is to bring you a powerful mix of content. And it's going to be content that inspires you. It's going to be content that helps you to optimize your health, to become the healthiest version of yourself. And it's going to be content that helps you to grow in your faith. And this is all with the purpose of setting your mind, your body, and your soul free. And today's episode, today's episode, it's going to be that inspiring content. It's going to be that content uh, focused on sharing a story, bringing a guest on here who has a real-life lived experience of just a very um, traumatic and, and difficult time that they went through. My um, guest today spent significant time in prison. Uh, he's overcome that obstacle. He has survived to get to the other side and is currently building a prosperous, uh, impactful life. So I'm looking forward to uh, you getting to hear uh, my interview today with an awesome guest. We'll introduce him in just a minute. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you, uh, I just want to let you know that, of course, here at Lions of Liberty, we have the Lions of Liberty Pride. It's our our patrons, our supporters. And there's two places uh, you can go to join the Pride to get in on the fun of all the bonus content. Certain levels you get to help produce shows. At certain levels you get to you know meet with us every month and uh, and shoot the shit and and talk about what is uh what is new in the world and uh, and what is new here at uh, at Lions of Liberty. So you can join the Pride by going to Patreon.com/slash/LionsOfLiberty or LionsOfLiberty.locals.com and uh, and join up. And Brian and I would uh, would love to have you there. So hopefully. You're enjoying, uh, you know, the new slimmed down Lions of Liberty just Monday and Wednesday. We do have something coming for you um, on Fridays here soon in the next couple weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Make sure you're subscribed to the Lions of Liberty Network feed as well as the Finding Freedom solo feed. Uh, in order to find the easiest way to find the Finding Freedom solo feed, where you get only these episodes. Finding Freedom, you can uh, search Finding Freedom and John Odermatt, and uh, and it'll pop right up. So without wasting any more time, let's get to this awesome interview today. Okay, I am joined here today by Chris Hunter. Uh, Chris was arrested back in 2005, and he went to trial. The, the charges were uh, conspiracy to distribute cocaine. There are also some some gun charges in there as well. All nonviolent. Very very important to point that out. He was sentenced to 420 months in prison. He ended up doing 16 years, six months, and he was released in May 
uh, due to the CARES Act, due to uh, everything that happened um, with COVID when they were granting releases. So, Chris, welcome to Finding Freedom. Okay, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And, you know, what made me reach out to you is uh, we're friends on Facebook. As you know, I'm friends with a lot of people in this, uh, you know, criminal justice movement who have, who have you know, done time in prison. And I saw that you had a, uh, a catering business that, that, that you were doing. Um, so that, that's what kind of tipped me off to you. And honestly, the, the food looked pretty good. So uh, you're, you're doing a good job there. And we'll good, talk about good. that. Talk about that uh, in a few minutes here as we get into your story. First thing I want to start with, uh, with my guests, especially my guests who have you know done time in prison with a story like this, overcoming so many obstacles, I like to kind of rewind the clock and go back to that time before prison, the time before you were arrested. And uh, you can even go all the way back to childhood if you want to, wherever you think you need to go with it, to, set up, to really set up your story and let people know a little bit more about yourself. Well, I was raised by uh, a really, you know, good mother, good home, Catholic mother, did everything in the world to to make sure that I had nice clothes and everything. So uh, that really was it had nothing to do with just I mean, we were we were poor, but it didn't have anything to do with, you know, super poverty or abuse or anything like that. It just uh, at a young age just began partying, you know, and, um, so as that goes on, you know, you find ways to try to, uh, afford what you're partying on. And as a young person, I, uh, began to dabble in, in getting drugs for people and stuff like that. So, uh, it just sort of snowballed into from young childhood to to adulthood. I had I had a, a pretty serious addiction to uh, benzos, and they're not cheap, and so you had to find any which way to get it. And uh, but benzos are, I mean, that's that's basically Xanax, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. I guess I should have said that for so everybody no, can know. Of, honestly, yeah, I mean, I. I I, uh, I heard about, I guess he's a, a celebrity to some people, uh, Jordan Peterson, and he got addicted to benzos. And I heard this, I heard this, you know, term benzos, and he ended up having to go to Russia in order to detox. And then I looked it up, and it's 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 Xanax. So I don't know why. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just a, well, it's a whole family of them. It's a whole, yeah. family, but Xanax. Yeah, my thing was Xanax, and um, I. Uh, as a really early age, I end up going to uh, state prison for a little bit of time for writing prescriptions and stuff. And as I would come home or from wherever, from these little, I just uh, would start again. And I had to find a way to, they're a terrible thing to get on because, you know, people think that uh, heroin and fentanyl and all this is a hard withdrawal, but there's nothing that sends you into a psychotic episode like uh, a Xanax withdrawal. And so uh, you have to, once you get on something like that, you're locked in, you're, you're now a slave to it and uh, a job really won't cover it. So what are you going to do? You got to try and try and make some money the best way you can and uh, the fastest. And so I began selling drugs and I uh, went from selling marijuana to, to selling cocaine and, um, 
eventually in 2005 it all came crashing down how how old were you about that time i I was 33 years old okay and uh they rounded up they rounded up a bunch of us on i had a couple tattoo shops at the time and they were called uh platinum tattoos they weren't at the same time but one i had one then i had a second one and my thing isn't just to throw all, anything off on the feds, but they make it, but they do put a tin on the two. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they like to exaggerate to a degree to make, make it, you know, seem worse than it probably really is. So they, they called us the platinum crew. And, uh, yeah, so they, which, they, they put that name yeah. on there to make it sound like it's this huge operation. Yeah, I, I right. You. It's, it's yeah. great to, jumpstart prosecutors careers and it looks good on the evening news and stuff, but there never was ever anything that was, we were not a crew and it wasn't named. Definitely wasn't named that, but that that's what the, that's how they did us. So how did it end up going down? So you're 33 years old. You have this tattoo shop. You're, you're addicted to, to Xanax and, and you're, and you're selling drugs how did the the bust end up going down? Well, what had happened was somebody that was close to us said got in trouble with the feds, and there was stuff exploding all over, little stuff all over, and um, the signs were all there that that uh, you know we were just um, we were being watched, and that it possibly was going to come crashing down. Um, Somebody that we knew that was close to us said be, had agreed to cooperate, and so he, you know he did a number of things with people close to me. And uh, one morning at five o'clock, boom, the door comes tumbling down, and you got five or six guys shoving guns in your face, and uh, you look and see what letters are on the jackets, and if. If there's letters on the jacket, you know there's not going to be a bond, and you're probably not going to be out for a while. Yeah. So that was the case, and I just, you know, pretty much just uh, knew it was over at that point. So you you, you get arrested, and like you said, you you know you know it's over at that point. I'm sure reality starts to set in. And actually, one thing I want to ask you about: so you have this addiction, and you get arrested. And like you were talking about, the withdrawal of going through that is pretty severe. What, what was what was that like? How did how did that withdrawal happen? Well, you know what's so uh, funny uh, when they come to uh, hit the door. It was a very thick door on a little apartment, and uh, they couldn't get it down right away. And the first thing I went and did was ate a, ate a handful of Xanax, since I was in my boxers. They always come before you know daylight. And uh, I just sat there and smoked half a cigarette and uh, until they finally could get the door down and I knew it was over. But uh, that's a good question. Uh, the withdrawals in my county jail, they had become aware of the fact that uh, people coming off these Xanax, were, you're definitely going to have a seizure. You're definitely going to flop out. You're going to you're going to 
hallucinate. You really have hallucinations. And, and if anybody's watching this that's on, on Xanax, I pray to God that they, uh, they, they never do them, that they wean themselves off slowly and leave them alone because uh, you, you, you see and believe things just as, just as if it was reality when you're coming mm -hmm. off these things. And that's what makes them so much more deadly than coming off an, an opiate where you're just sick, bodily sick, you know, but no, you trip out and you always have the seizures. So mm -hmm. they were aware of this in our county jail. And uh, they bring you down with uh, uh, a lesser, less, a uh, less strong benzo, which is Klonopin, and they wean you slowly off. But it's still bad, you know. And, and I was despondent because I, I knew it was over. And uh, I, I, I have a son I love dearly, and we were really, really close. And and I just, I didn't even, wasn't even reaching out to people on the streets. I, I just pretty much was like, it's over, you know, when, when the feds get you, just, just get, get, take a nap. That's all mm -hmm. you can do. And so, uh, I withdrew, but thanks to the Klonopin, it wasn't as bad as it, it could be. Yeah. Um, so what, what you, I think you said that you went to trial. Did you go to trial or was there a plea deal? I, I did, and uh, well, why did you decide to get? Can you talk about that that decision and why you decided to take it to trial? Well, I had a uh, they gave me a court appointed lawyer, and a, a new law had passed at the time. The feds have something called ghost dope, mm -hmm. yep. and that means yeah. that they find you guilty, and then add up all the testimony or whatever anybody's agreed to that happened even though it's not physical that yeah. testimony is evidence and it's just the same as having the physical evidence so uh this brand new law had passed about 60 days before we get arrested and this court appointed lawyer is telling me it's going to help me and i hadn't made any buys i didn't have anything in my home and so basically I, I, I'd like to put a small percentage on those two things and a large percentage on ignorance of the law and a, a, just a desire to come home and, and, and be free. So, mm -hmm. but ignorance of the law mainly, if you don't know how they can convict you and you're going to trial, you're in big trouble. And I was in big trouble <laughs> and yeah. they came so with, which, they which, came, which in, in, in your defense, uh, most people don't know that they, they don't no, know. No, I they mean, don't. And, yeah. and as I found out, I eventually got, I fought my case myself for so long and learned to research so well that, uh, I became unignorant of the law and, mm -hmm found out that ignorance of the law is not an excuse. So it can't be you. You can't argue, well, I didn't know because yeah. everybody's supposed to know. If you're 18 years old out there and you're selling drugs and you don't know that what you're doing is going to get you 30 years and you go say, well, I thought it was two. It doesn't matter. Ignorance of the law. So, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know. And uh, I proceeded to trial. I turned, they offered me like five to cooperate and I didn't want to go down that path. 
And so then they came with 10 and, uh, I just, uh, I thought that they had to have physical evidence here. I'm charged with five kilograms and you've got a half a kilogram of evidence. Mm -hmm. And, uh, how are you going to find me guilty? You know? So I, I went to trial. You went to trial. I'm just, I'm doing the calculation now because they do it in months. So in the intro, I said 420 months, 35 years. Yeah, yeah. So, With good, if you get all your good time, you do thirty-one years. My my first out date was two thousand and thirty-six. So if when I you got hear all that, my good time, when you hear that, and you're around the age like you said, thirty-three, so in that neighborhood, yeah, you, you hear that sentence four hundred twenty months. I mean, if it was me, the first thing I'd be thinking, how long is that? Four hundred twenty months. I mean, because nobody thinks in months, but <laughs> right. after you know, after you figure out that it's it's thirty-five years. What's what's going through your mind at that point in time? You know, the funny thing is, uh, the judge said, I'm going to give you 420 months, Mr. Hunter. Good luck. <laughs> and I have a strong faith. And I have been through so many other little situations in life where I was always rescued do a lot of different things. And, uh, I just never believed. And also again, in my mind, this lawyers told me this law's passed. You're going to win on appeal. There's, you know, so I just don't believe it. I, re it doesn't sink into, mm. instead of getting sad, which I had been sad up to that point, I became mad. And so, I moved forward mad and determined to uh, give some of that time or, or all that time back. I believed I would come. I always believed from day one that I would come home early. You, you started serving your sentence. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that experience was life going in, going in into prison? Was, was it, this was your first time? In prison, right? Well, I, it was my first time in the feds. I had been to state mm -hmm. prison when I was 19, and, okay. you know, I was no stranger to jail or anything like that at that point. I'd been to jail lots of times and programs and stuff. So, so I, I mean, I wasn't fearful. In fact, I was, I was excited to get out of the county jail because the county jail where we're from here is just right next to hell. You know, they starve you to death and it's, it's a horrible place. So I was excited to get to prison and I hadn't made any decision to make any changes at that point in my life. I want to say that. So mm -hmm. my first dream was to get to a prison somewhere and uh, find somebody and get a couple jugs of wine and just get a good meal and settle in. And that was my goal and my dream at that time. How long, how long did you continue with that mindset? Well, I, initially I, we get to that here in just a little bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, I stayed that way for, a, for quite a while. Yeah. Um, they sent me to Oklahoma, which is the transfer center to the feds. They then sent me to my home, my, my place where I would do my time. And that was Manchester, Kentucky. And I, I, I lived in there as close to how I lived 
on the streets, you know, as possible. And that went on and I was transferred then because, you know, just they get tired of you some places. Sometimes they can't even catch you, but they'll just get tired of you and just boom, transfer to transfer you to another place. And that's what happened with me. They just got sick of me and sent me to Terre Haute, Indiana. And uh, I continued on like that for a while. Uh, about nine years. Now, the whole time I'm fighting my case, so I, the only thing I'm educating myself in is law. And I was diligent with that. But when I wasn't in the law library, I was trying to basically just live life the way I lived on the streets. And uh, about 2000, and um, I got transferred again. I, they got tired of me at Terre Haute and sent me to uh, an institution in uh, North Carolina called Butner, North Carolina, the Deuce. And I sort of right there, I don't know whether it was maturity or, you know, I, I had I had picked up a Bible also. Could have been a combination of both. And, and I just finally said, man, you can't win in this life. You just can't win. And so I decided that uh, you'd have to be stupid to keep letting, giving people the opportunity to tell on you. And uh, it was time to start making some changes, but I, I wasn't a hundred, hundred percent all in for change yet. But just was the wheels were turning for sure. So what was it that happened that that really made you change? That that made you go that whole hundred percent? I got uh, they. The unit I was in, I was in with a real good friend uh, uh, who happened to be there, and uh, I hated to leave him. But one day they came into the unit and said, anybody that thinks that they can transfer, come to my office. We're putting a drug program in this unit. Everybody's got to either move or transfer. So, I, you know, I said, hey, man, I, I, this is my shot. I got to get back close to home. And they sent me to a, a a facility in Lexington, Kentucky, FMC Lexington, and it's a lower security prison. So my points had dropped. At this point, I had this is I had already gave back to five years, so I'm down to thirty years now, and my points drop, and I'm eligible to go to a lower security prison. Haven't been in trouble for about a year, year and a half. And so I, I went and they, they said, we're going to transfer you. So they, they transferred me to a place called uh, FMC Lexington. And uh, I got there and I ran into a guy from my city and he, it was clear to me from just discernment, basic discernment that he had made some serious change. I could, I could recognize it as real. Hmm. And, uh, he invited me to a Bible study and, um, I, I agreed to go and we, we, uh, we started studying and eventually I started going to church and, uh, I got baptized, and the next thing I know, I looked up, and four or five years had gone by, and I had been living, I had been living a different life. Hmm. That's amazing. And so that, that's what happened. So uh, I'm still fighting my case throughout all this, and really, you know, 
thought I was going to win. I had a hearing in 2015 against the lawyer for giving me the bad advice. And I mean, it looked dead set. I was going to have this. I was going to. And right then, they also took three more years off, so it took me to 27 years. So I, I had a 27-year sentence, and it looked like I was about to go home, and I was making these changes. And, and really, I, after a couple of years, I had changed. Mm-hmm. You know, people, uh, people would just come and say, hey, Brother Chris, to me, and, you know, in connecting me with the church and stuff. And that was mm-hmm. so strange. But, yeah, I had I had made, I had changed. I hadn't made changes. I had changed. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, that's, that's how the, how it happened for me. When did you get into, uh, cause I know I've seen you talk about really enjoying cooking and that, and that starting while, while you were in prison. When did you start helping out in the kitchen or, or I guess working in the kitchen? it's strange how uh, how it all happened. Now that goes back to the beginning. I had, my first job at Manchester was in this factory. They have, uh, I'm sure you know about it, Unicor, and they put you in there, and um, and you've got a certain amount of number of tickets you've got to do, and that's the only way you can make your little quota. And then you almost don't even have time to go to the bathroom. It's got so bad. So you just sit there and, and I was on a so and I was like, I cannot do that. I'm not doing my time like this. So uh, I said, I went to the chow that day and I, I asked the guy, and this is early on in my sentence, uh, probably within the first year. And I, I asked the kitchen uh, food administrator, I said, hey, I want to be a cook. And he said, bring me a cop out, which is a piece of paper that, he has to sign and Unicor has to sign and you take it to your counselor and you get a job change. So I, I, you're quitting Unicor. This is, this is great money. I'm out of here. But at the same time, the kitchen is, is a, just as good a hustle. So I'm thinking in terms of hustling Well, I get in there and, uh, I wasn't much of a worker prior to going to prison, but, in prison, if you're a hard worker and you want to get something out, you know, to take back and eat or to hustle, whatever, if you're a hard worker, the cops will turn their head or, or pat pat over it when they shake, you know. And so I became a hard worker so that I could, you know, but it be by doing it over and over and over for years, I not only learned to cook, but I learned how to work hard. Hmm. And, uh, I, it got to the point where I couldn't even really stand to see people that wouldn't work hard. And so it just r- repetition, repetition, repetition. And I, and I learned how to cook. And so uh, as years would go on, I would cook for all the homeboys and we'd have big meals or whatever. And uh, eventually people started wanting me to cook and that became a hustle. So when I wasn't working in the kitchen, I would cook stuff for people as a hustle, you know, and, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that I'm I'm selling now in my little uh, pop up restaurant is stuff that we we've been making for years and years in prison, and and to be honest, it's it's better than most of the stuff we we I've encountered out here so far. Hmm. Wow. 
we'll have to we'll, we'll talk about some of those things here at the end but before we get to that <laughs> right. i want to uh i want to hear about when you got released and really leading up to that was it expected and, and how did it go down it, it was originally when the cares act first came out right before the cares act no, not even right before. I, my 2255, which is an appeal that I told you I thought I was going to win, I fought and fought and fought, and, and I should have won, you know, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the COVID hit, and they come and said, well, everybody's getting out. So, you know, there's a scale, this recidivism uh, thing that they've got set up, and, and they said, well, we're doing the minimums first. Okay. And by then I was pretty good with law and, and doing paperwork in prison and stuff. So I, I made myself familiar with the CARES Act and the bar memo and the stuff that they were releasing that that listed the criteria for this stuff. And so uh, they said, OK, we're doing all the minimums today, you know, for right now. Within two weeks, you're going to get if you're a low, we're going to start on the lows. So, boom, I. I I told people, hey, I should be home in about 70 days. This is the very beginning of COVID. And uh, it didn't work out that way. Three weeks later, they came and said, ah, we're not allowed to do those. We're only doing minimums. So it continued on like that for, for quite some time. And then finally, they started doing lows. And... Uh, so there was always, you know, me going back and forth with the administration that, look, I'm eligible. I should I meet all the criteria for this. Why aren't I being released? And um, finally, one day, this caseworker, after almost two years, and uh, I'd caught COVID two or three good times, and this case manager of mine calls me in. He's like, hey, you ready? And I, and I was, I knew what he was talking about, but I was just so nervous. I, I, I sort of was like, uh, for what? He's like, you're going home. <laughs> and, uh, I never believed it. And I, and the guys were getting so mad at me in the, in the unit, they were saying I'm burnout. And I said, nah, something's going to happen. It's not going to happen. Ah, oh, you're burnt. You're oh, old school. You're burnt. You're burnt out. You're out of here. And, and even when I would call my son, I say, "Hey, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your something's going to happen." And up until uh, the morning, you know, your computer and phone and stuff supposed to cut off the night before you go, and uh, mine didn't. I said, "I told you guys, it it got shot down." But I got released, and my son was there, and it was a tearful and a blessed reunion. I bet, and that was pretty. That was May eighth of of twenty two. I've been I've been out about five year. months. Okay, yeah, wow. yeah. It's how everything's unfolded since then is is just more. Uh, you know, I'm walking in favor. I just gotta say, I'm walking in favor. I'm working mm -hmm. hard, but I, I've been being blessed too, man. That's amazing. So, so you got out just in May of this year, and how how quickly until you started working in a in, in a restaurant? You're working in a restaurant, right? Yeah. So, so I got released in May, and they they put the ankle monitor on me, sent me to my son's house, and uh, I sort of 
you know, was adjusting. I was decompressing for a week or so. I, I, I was fearful I was going back, you know, and um, I wanted to get my own place. And uh, I knew that I needed, well, you know, I had got, I had had my stimulus money, which is so crazy. I'll tell you what, I just have to tell you this real quick. Yeah, sure. The morning I had saved, I had got the one stimulus checked and saved it. So it was on my, my commissary account. So the morning I'm leaving now, I told you my phone and computer was supposed to shut off that night before, right? Mm-hmm. It didn't shut off, and I was worried. I said, dang, something's come up, man. My sh- stuff should have been shut off. So I get up that morning, and I, I log on, and I said, well, I wonder why this is still on. And I, I happened to check my account, and do you know that morning, the 1800 the first two stimulus checks hit with that one I had saved. And so I was, mm. <laughs> I was just blessed to have a little something to stand on. So yeah. I knew I needed an apartment and a partner of mine, the same partner now that led me to Christ. Wow. I had, he had, he had been released and been doing great and stayed helping me and was like praying and praying. You're coming home. You're coming home. You're coming home. He, and he had told me like, for the past seven months, I'll get you a job with me or I'll get you a job at this restaurant. And so I ended up getting out. So I called him. I said, well, the restaurant owner, and I got to give a shout out, man. She's a great, great woman. She owns the butter cafe and breakfast spot in Dayton, Ohio. And it's Mm -hmm. great food. And it's a great place. All kinds of vegan stuff. But, um, I called her and I said, uh, The, the whole story is just nuts. I had been cooking breakfast in this place, and I was telling guys, watch me end up getting a job cooking breakfast. And I, I didn't really. I just used to. But anyway, so I, I need a, a place to live. My son's grown man, 26 years old. He needs his own place. I need my own place. I've been out mm-hmm. two weeks. I call her. I say, hey, you, you, happen to, you have a job and an apartment? She said, yeah. I said, well, I'm interested in both. She said, well, come see me. So I came job interview she said i need you today i said okay i need the apartment i'll be back with the apartment money i'll take the apartment now i got a job to pay for the apartment and i I just the first day i start working this job the two guys that are training me basically get almost get into a fist fight they both get fired (laughs) now i'm just in here with the general manager and just me and her work banging out breakfast it's just and everything lined up so i just started working hard for her and um i've been going ever since i after about four three months of working really hard i, I just approached her with the idea of hey can i do my own thing because we close at three o'clock and i said hey can, by this point i'd been in there it, when the place was closed, deep cleaning and doing just a lot of stuff, you know, and wow. she had thank thanks to God and her, she just developed a trust for me. Here I am, I'm on an ankle monitor, just mm-hmm. got time of but she gave me a shot. She's like, Yeah, if if you want to try it, try it. I mean That's she amazing. she gave me a pr- I mean, she gave me a price for rent. I'm not saying you know, but yeah. 
But, and I mean, so that, I took that's, it. That's such a great, just, just if I can say this for a minute here, that's such, that's such a great really testimony. I mean, you were talking about hard work before and having that work ethic. And you know, a lot of people would come out in that situation and would, you know, you know, kind of be moping around and thinking, oh, I, I don't know, nothing's going to work out, or they just kind of go through the motions at work. But you went into it kind of with a plan. It, it sounds like that you were going to work hard and then move into this next step in order to you know have a pop up restaurant so you could go from there. That's that's just incredible, man. John, eighteen months ago, in prison, I uh, I wrote my whole menu out. Oh, wow. Completely drew a floor plan, everything. I mean, the floor plan is not the same, and but, you know, it's just uh, your thoughts have a lot of power. Writing stuff down has a lot of power, man. And Yeah. That's it's been thing. good. Yeah, I mean, it's now, let me say this. I'm I'm 50 years old, so... I'm I'm working and I, and I feel it. I'm working hard. We mm-hmm. we bang out during the day and then uh, I don't have any help. I can't afford to pay any help because it's too slow. I don't have somebody in my window, so I'm take I take the order. And it's good that it's slow because I'm learning how to handle it as mm-hmm. it goes. But it's just me me myself and I all by myself. And but I, I'm. I'm I'm determined to stay uh, consistent with setting stuff up, doing it exactly the same way every day, just as if it's going to be busy. What's your uh, What's your best seller on your menu for your pop up? Uh, it seems like a lot of people's been getting the chicken platters, which is uh, a, a side of greens, macaroni. Two, two chicken breasts on a bed of rice. And I, and I glaze my chicken breast with a, just a sort of secret sauce that I got from a, a good friend of mine years and years and years ago, way before I ever came to prison. But it, people seem to like that a lot. But I think, to me, once people get the strombolis, which, as I said, that's one of the things we make in prison. These mm. We take three tortilla shells put them together and make this giant for lack of a better word you know we season up the up the dough real good and uh, uh and then we fill it with all types of commissary stuff and they're called strombolis okay. and but the people have had mine it's not like a pizza thing or anything like that it's it's truthfully a prison thing and uh they're like man they can't believe it it's they're there's nothing that tastes like them out here. And I think if once people start coming, that'll be what, what really goes, but everything's good. Everything's good. It's a a prison stromboli, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's really nothing like, you know, a traditional stromboli, what you're saying. No, not at all. It's just got a flavor of its own. That's, that's awesome. Um, so, so let me ask you this question. Because you're a guy who plans, you, you wrote out, you know, what you want your floor plan, plan to look like in your menu. When you look out five years from now, where do you see yourself? Um, when I first got out, in addition to getting this job, I called, we have something called the Montgomery County Office of Reentry. And my goal in calling them 
they offer a lot of networks and and some benefits not not big huge benefits but they connect people with what you need transportation resources uh help with rent i i had always heard that there's a lot of grants out here for people coming home and so i called them asking about that and they said well what, there is a program but you need to take this uh re-entry program in order to be eligible to try and get into this other program uh, entrepreneur program and I said I'm game um, there's a place in my mind that that would like to help people coming home from prison uh, I have another friend that's that's got a platform and, and he's done that and uh, you know people don't even know what they're doing carries could carry 30 who how do you think selling cut up cocaine let you just buying ounces or you know and how in the world can you comprehend well this carries 35 could carry 35 years you have no idea and then coming home you you're coming home to nothing and there's nothing in the federal prison to to do anything for rehabilitation they've got a couple little token programs that um they get big money off of and you just copy the, the next guy's book and boom, you're through it and they get big money and, and that's all there is to it. They're not doing anything to help anybody change or so when you come home, you're, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to starve or you're going to go back to what you know. And that's why there's, and it's such a business. So they're, they're cool with that. Recidivism helps them. Um, there's a yeah. place in my, I mean, I'm on house arrest right now. I really, I'm a long, long way from ever getting to the point, this point, but there's a place in my heart and head where I would like to possibly. So I took the reentry program. I graduated. Um, and I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to try and stay in, in connect with them. I'm going to do some other stuff with them, uh, here at the end of October. And uh, I think if I can stay linked up with them, stay doing what I'm doing, that uh, I possibly can uh, lend a voice to, to help some people one day. As far as a business, I'm not really, I'm not tripping on getting rich. My dream would be to uh, open at 11 and, and close by nine, you know, mm -hmm. and just, just get a little something, get out of the way go fishing and enjoy life. Yeah. Sounds like a good plan to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause but, these uh, 15 it, hour days are serious. Yeah. I, I believe that's, yeah, that's, that's hard work, man. And we're working in the kitchen. Um, I haven't worked in restaurants. Um, my wife though, she, she worked in restaurants growing up and then, and, and then managed restaurants. So I know, uh, I know how tough that tough that is, especially, especially on your body. It, it really does take a lot, of, a lot out of you with, uh, with doing all that stuff. But I just want to ask you one more question and, and then I'll let you go. All right. So if, if you could give some advice, maybe there's someone out there who's listening. Um, either maybe they know someone or have a family member who's in prison right now. Um, or maybe they, they themselves could be tied up in something that, uh, that they could eventually end up in prison. If you could give them some advice right now, what would you, what would you say? I would, I would have a couple 
probably two main things to to advise somebody on and um maybe three one one is this if you are out here and you're selling drugs not to work to keep from working nobody likes to go to work the very first thing they do when you get to prison is assign you a job so you're going to work anyway so uh develop a try to develop a work habit that's all i can say man and fight ignore ignore fashion ignore flashy things set a period of time that you refuse to to acknowledge anything flashy or or anything and just put your nose to the grindstone work save every penny and once that time's up try to enjoy life and uh i couldn't couldn't get off here without saying uh develop a relationship with god pray prayers prayers what got me out and uh that's all i got you know develop a relationship with god and i jesus christ is my lord and savior go through him amen to that amen to that um do you want to plug your plug your pop-up if in case there's anyone listening who's in the in the dayton area and where, where yeah, can they yeah. find you how can they how can they order all that stuff absolutely yeah right now we have a limited menu i'm uh located at 1106 brown street dayton ohio um hours four to nine p.m for now closed on tuesdays you can just google a new soul dayton i pop up my website's on there the website is uh a new soul dayton.com and uh i promise you we're gonna put a big old fat fat platter of food on you that you're gonna love and you're gonna come back well, that is awesome, and uh, I haven't been to Dayton before, but this might uh, this might give me an excuse to uh, make my way through there. And if I do, I will <laughs> hey, definitely stop in, Chris. One more plug: we're sure, slow. Sure. Your help, your support is needed. <laughs> you said you one more plug. Yeah, that was just it. Uh, oh, that's it? my last okay, plug. We can <laughs> use the support. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. So any listeners out there, if you're in Dayton or if you know someone who lives there, support Chris. Um, I'm going to post the link, uh, the links he just gave here. I'll put them on the show notes page at Lions of Liberty. You can find him there. Send them to your friends who live in the area if you aren't there. And uh, I mean, you, you just heard his story. If you listen to this whole time, why would you not support him? So please, uh, please do what you can to help him out. And Chris, thank you for coming on the show and sharing All your right. story. Thank you for having me. All right. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that great interview with Chris Hunter. And, you know, I talked with Chris after the show and there is a lot more areas where we could have gone a little bit more in depth and really dug down a few layers. Chris has an incredible story and we got to a lot of it today, but uh, th there's even more. So I think uh, we'll be having Chris back on. He's uh, hoping to write a book here within the next uh next year or so so we will uh keep in contact with chris and of course if you're in if you're in the dayton area um definitely check out his uh his pop-up restaurant i will link to all of the information on the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com so go there to to check it out and 
of course, if you're in the pride, if you're not in the pride, um, you know, if you're not in the pride, think about joining. If you are in the pride, then hopefully you've been enjoying our bonus content that we've had with Degenerate Gamblers um, every Friday with a new um, Secrets, Lies, and Covers Cover-Ups, our new show, which replaced Conspiracy Corner, uh, an awesome show, and more to come on that end. So check it out. Check out joining the pride. And uh, if you haven't maybe got some Lions of Liberty merchandise, if you haven't checked that out, you can go to lionsofliberty.store to see all of that good stuff. So appreciate you guys. Appreciate everyone who listens to this show and has been supporting us for, for all of these years. And you know, I hope this content, the reason that I do this um, is to really bring content um, into the world, into this space that I want to listen to. And if it's something I want to listen to, I know it's something other people are going to listen to, and I know it's going to resonate with other people. So if this interview with Chris Hunter resonates with you, and uh, if you want to hear more shows like this, if you have some recommendations for people you'd like me to interview, you can send me an email. Send it to john at lionsofliberty.com. So that's all I got for today. Hopefully everyone is having a great Monday, Tuesday, or whatever day you're listening to this. Uh, We will see you next week. Always remember to keep your head up. 